Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Adam had a very busy first day on earth. He, he got to know the creatures over which he had been made king. Then he went through a deep sleep and he woke up to meet the woman who was literally a part of him. And so on the sixth day of creation, the first day of man's existence, man and woman were crowned king and queen and were married. And their job was to be fruitful and multiply to fill the earth and to subdue it. They had to work and keep the Garden of Eden. And the Garden of Eden was on earth a picture of the heavenly throne room of God. It was a sacred place where at sacred times man could meet with God and walk with him and hear him speak to them. Now, Adam and Eve's job was to build this garden into a garden city and fill it with an uncountable number of the children of God. And if you want to have an idea of what they were supposed to work towards, you can turn in your Bible when you get home to Revelation chapters 21 and 22 and read the description of the New Jerusalem. It is the heavenly dwelling of God come down to earth. And the celestial city is fashioned with all kinds of precious stones and, and gold, all the precious resources, resources that are mentioned in the region of Eden in Genesis chapter 2. That celestial city has multiple trees of life. It has the river of life throwing flowing through it, and there are clear echoes of the Garden of Eden in the description of the New Jerusalem. So Eden had the basic building materials, and the New Jerusalem is the finished product. Now, Adam and Eve failed to build it. And so the last Adam builds it for us, and he brings it to us finished perfectly and gloriously, and it will be coming any day. Behold, says the Lord, I am coming soon. But back in Genesis 1 and 2, before the fall, Adam and Eve have not yet failed in their task. They, in fact, have yet to get started. They've had a very busy first day what will they do on their first full day of existence? Well, they stop. They stop. You see, the next day, the seventh day, is the Sabbath. And you can see there in, in, in Genesis chapter 2, Verse 1, where our translation says, actually it's chapter 2, verse 2, and on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And that verb rested is the verb in Hebrew, Shabbat, the verb to Sabbath. And that verb, Shabbat, means simply to stop, to rest. And so literally the verse is saying, and he Sabbathed 
on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. He stopped on the seventh day. Now, the scripture says that God stopped. But how do we know Adam and Eve stopped too? How do we know that they celebrated the Sabbath? Well, you can flip forward in your Bible to Exodus chapter 20. We read it this morning. And there in the fourth commandment, Exodus 20, page 61, your pew Bible, we, we read uh, the explanation for the fourth commandment and see how it begins. It begins there in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember. So that word remember is important. It, it's not a new thing. The Sabbath is not a new thing that God introduced at Mount Sinai. It was something that they had to remember from the past. It was something built into the creation itself. At Sinai, Israel is a weary, tired bunch of recently freed slaves, and God reminds them, you get to rest. You get to delight in one day per week when you can just stop your work. That's how I made the world to run. And then he reminds them there in verse 11, that's what I did from the beginning. I stopped my work on the seventh day. And therefore, I blessed that day and made it holy. So when God calls his people to remember, he's telling them to remember something that has been happening since the very beginning of time. And so, that's what Adam and Eve did. They got to spend their first full day on this recently created earth just enjoying each other and enjoying the creation. And enjoying the forests and the fields and the rivers and the fruits and enjoying the animals. And most of all, simply delighting together in the Father, the creator of everything. So on their first full day, Adam and Eve celebrate Sabbath. A holy people gathers in a holy space at a holy time to worship God in the beauty of holiness. They can simply rest in and delight in God. They can rest in him and his finished work. They can worship him and enjoy him. And this is the purpose of the world. This is the purpose of the human race. This is what God has made us for. He has made us to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The Sabbath of the seventh day, celebrated in that little garden of Eden, was supposed to become the eternal Sabbath celebrated in the celestial garden kingdom in which God didn't just come to visit once in a while, but in which he dwelt forever with his children. But sin broke everything, and we were driven from the garden, and the cherubim blocked the way back with flaming swords. And ever since the fall, the entire history of the human race has been the record of God's mighty acts of redemption to bring his children back home, to bring them back into his rest. 
Now, what are the signs of gospel in this groaning creation? Is that God has preserved the weekly rhythm of creation. The French revolutionaries and later the communist revolutionaries tried to break out of the creation rhythm. They tried to create a 10-day week. But it didn't work. The seven-day week is literally built into the structure of creation and is something that every people and every culture from every time in all of human history has been obliged to follow. And one in every seven days is a day holy to the Lord, a day on which we are called to forget ourselves, to forget our to-do list, to forget our daily labors, to forget our toils. And we are called to Shabbat. We are called to stop. We are called to drop our tools, to put on our most festive garments and stream out of our houses to gather as a holy people in a holy place at a holy time to worship a holy God. This is a taste of heaven. It is the closest thing to experiencing heaven until we see the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Now, if you look at the structure of the Ten Commandments, for instance, there in Exodus chapter 20 or Deuteronomy chapter 5, look at how much text there is in the Ten Commandments and see how much of that text is dedicated to the Fourth Commandment. And you get an idea of how fundamentally important the Sabbath is because the Fourth Commandment takes about one-third of the words in the Ten Commandments. And it's the middle one-third. The Fourth Commandment is literally the very center of the law of God. And it is the bridge between the the first part of the law, the duties we owe to God, and the second part of the law, the duties we owe to our neighbor. There, in the center of God's law, in the fourth commandment, man joins with his neighbor in holy assembly and draws near together to worship God. Now, in the Old Testament, the entire system of worship was based on the weekly Sabbath. The weekly Sabbaths and all the special feast day Sabbaths were called holy convocations or sacred assemblies. It's not just the idea of rest which is attached to the Sabbath, but it is the idea of gathering. And those two things are intertwined and cannot be separated. If you have your Bible handy, Leviticus chapter 23 page 101 in your pew Bible. And in this chapter, the Lord is describing the different feasts. Look at verse 2 there. Speak to the people of Israel. Say to them, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. And then follows in the rest of the chapter a list, a list of the regular feasts throughout the yearly worship calendar. And these feasts included sacred assemblies, holy convocations, and ceasing from regular work. And the very first, 
the foundational feast for the worship calendar of God's people was the weekly Sabbath. Look there at verse 3 of Leviticus 23. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. And children, you know what convocation means. It means being called together. God is telling his people, don't be by yourself. Come together and assemble as a congregation. Congregate together. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. Now, we often get the idea that the people of God in the Old Testament were rather dour and grumpy as they hunkered down for a day of restrictions and tiresome spiritual exercises. That's indeed how the Pharisees saw it, but that's not at all how God wanted it. We read Isaiah 58, and you saw there in that chapter how the people of Israel were doing religious things like fasting with wicked and unrepentant hearts. So they were just kind of serving God on the outside, but not from the heart. They would so-called worship God while they were arguing and fighting and harboring anger in their hearts against one another. We read about that in Isaiah 58. Now, God calls them to something far better. He calls them to stand up for the oppressed, to feed the hungry, to care for the homeless, to provide for the needy. He calls them to stop using Sabbath as a chance to catch up on what they feel like doing, to work on their projects. Instead, they are to remember that it is a day holy to the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that it is not to be used for us, but for him. It is a day for us to forget ourselves and lose ourselves in him. It is a day to delight in him and to taste the beginnings of the eternal Sabbath. And so there in Isaiah chapter 58, God tells us that if we observe Sabbath in a legalistic and heartless way, we will find it burdensome and oppressive, and there will be no blessing. It will just be a celebration of the works of the flesh. But, says the Lord, look there at the end of the chapter in verse 13. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly. In other words, if you celebrate the Sabbath with all your heart, in the power of the Spirit, focused on God and not yourself, then, look at verse 14, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, what does that mean? You see that at the end of chapter 58? What does that mean, making you ride on the heights of the earth and feeding you with the heritage of Jacob, your father? Well, God is evoking 
the picture of paradise. Paradise was, or Eden, the region of Eden, was situated on the heights of the earth. That's why the rivers flow out of it. Rivers don't flow up, they flow down. And the heritage of Jacob is the promised land, the region on earth where the temple could be found and where God's people dwelled. And so what Eden, the area, the region of Eden was to the garden, the land of promise is to the holy of holies. What God is saying at the end there of chapter 58 is that when we celebrate the Sabbath, we will taste the delights and the joys of paradise itself. And if you've never experienced the delights and the joys of paradise itself on the Lord's Day and in worship, then you have not yet understood the meaning of the fourth commandment. Now we get a fascinating picture of this godly delight and joy in an Old Testament sacred assembly described in Nehemiah chapter 8. If you have your Bible handy, I'm going to be going through some of the verses here. Nehemiah chapter 8. Ezra, Nehemiah chapter 8. And you see there in verse 1, and all the people gathered as one man. So this is a congregation. They're coming together, assembling as God's people. And then look at verse 2. This congregation includes men and women and all who could understand what they heard. So even the littlest kids, from the minute that they can start to understand anything, they're present too in the great congregation. And then look at verse 4. Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. So there he is in the pulpit. This is a service of worship. And then look at verse 6. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They worshipped the Lord. This is a congregation assembling to worship altogether. And then we have the ministry of the word from the pulpit. Look at the end of verse 7. There's a whole bunch of Levites mentioned by name. And then at the end of verse 7, we read what they did. They helped the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. They explained the word of God. They read it, and they preached it. Because that's what preaching is. It's, that's what it should be, the explaining of the word of God. And so the people are overcome. As they hear the law, they are convicted of their sin and, and they weep. But the office bearers tell them off. This is not the day for weeping. Look at verse 9. They said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words 
of the law. And then look what the instructions are there in verse 10. He said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Make this a day of joy. Make this a day of celebration. Make this a day of fellowship and hospitality. Make this a day of making sure that no one's left out. Make this a day of special foods and special treats that are only enjoyed on this day to make it special. And so that's what they do. In verse 12, we read, And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. So look at Nehemiah chapter 8. You see God's holy people gathered in holy assembly in the holy city, close to the holy temple, on a day holy to the Lord. And they worship God. And they hear the word of God. And the word of God incites them to great rejoicing. They are, they are riding on the heights and they have tasted the delights of paradise. Now, if the Old Testament people of God could celebrate a Sabbath assembly with so much rejoicing, how much more the New Testament people of God? The Lord Jesus Christ has brought worship to a new level. He fulfilled all the types and pictures of Old Testament worship. His blood cleanses us from sin so that we can draw near as priests to worship God. And the water of baptism declares that we are saints, holy to the Lord, washed in the blood of the Lamb. In Christ, we enter by a new and living way, not into the holy of holies here on earth, but we enter into the real thing. Every time we gather for worship, in Christ, we come into the very throne room of God. And in Christ, we not only can worship, but we must worship with all the saints in the presence of God and of the holy angels. New Testament worship in spirit and in truth is a moment when those here on earth are lifted up in the spirit into the heavenlies by Christ himself. Now, the Old Testament saints could only gather in the shadow of the temple walls. They were not allowed in to the holy place, let alone the holy of holies. But here we are, and we are the temple of the Lord. Every Lord's Day, we get to Sabbath. We get to stop. We get to drop everything. We get to forget our daily toil and worries. We get to meet in holy assembly in the very holy of holies. And the holy of holies is not this beautiful auditorium, but we, the gathered people of God, are the very temple and dwelling of the Spirit of God. And when we gather in holy assembly, we are not just gathered in a sacred place, but we are 
that sacred space, gathered at a sacred time. Here and now in public worship, heaven and earth meet together. Time touches eternity. God meets his gathered people. God speaks blessing. Our hearts exult. We lift our voices in worship. God speaks his word. Our hearts rejoice. God sets a table before us. We eat and drink the fellowship meal with Christ and with one another. And we go home and we feast and celebrate and we send portions to those who have nothing prepared or we invite them over to eat with us. And our hearts are lifted up to Christ in the heavenly places and we ride upon the heights. We exult as we taste the delights of paradise itself because what else is paradise than being in the presence of God with all the children of God? That's the taste of heaven. In this dark, painful, groaning world full of turmoil and strife, where do we find God? Well, we find him where he has established the word and the sacraments. Where we find the word and the sacraments, the means of grace, there we meet with God in Christ. And where we find God, we find heaven. Heaven is not some place which is really nice, no matter what. Because if God is not in heaven, it would be hell. Heaven is where God is. And that's why the saints have always longed for Sabbath rest and Sabbath assembly. We sang it, didn't we? As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now, the psalmist knows very well where God is to be found. He is to be found where he dwells in the midst of his people. He is to be found where the church gathers to worship. And so there in Psalm 42, verse 4, he says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. So what does all of this mean for us here in the congregation of St. Albert in 2022? Well, it means, as we confess in the Catechism, that we will be zealous to ensure that the ministry of the gospel and the schools be maintained. Why? Because Christians want their children to know how to read and to write and to count so that they can study the word of God. They can study the, the book of creation and the book of Scripture so they can understand God's revelation, so they can know God and worship God. That's why we educate our children in the first place. Not in the first place to get a good job with lots of money, but in the first place to know God. And so Christians pour massive amounts of resources and love and time and energy into Christian education. And this in itself is an act of worship and a delight in the fourth commandment. All of the work that's done for the Christian schools and for Christian education in general, and a lot of it is done, 
and all of the resources poured into it is a keeping of the fourth commandment. Now, Christians know that we meet God and get a taste of heaven when we Sabbath together, when we meet together in the presence of God on the Lord's Day where he has established the ministry of the Word and the Sacraments. But to have the ministry of the Word and the Sacraments, you need ministers of the Word and the Sacraments. And so Christians keep the fourth commandment by supporting the theological college through prayer and financial contributions. Christian parents and elders keep the fourth commandment by identifying and encouraging young men with the right gifts to prepare themselves to study theology and seek ordination. And Christians know that the weekly Sabbath and especially the holy assembly of the saints on the Lord's day is the closest that we can get to tasting the joys of heaven in this life. And so we are diligent to attend. Diligent. That means that wild horses cannot drag us away. That means that we will sweep away all impediments. We will overcome all obstacles. And if you look back through history, Christians have risked everything to gather to worship. They have risked all their worldly goods and their comfort and their convenience and their health and even their life just in order to be able to gather with God's people for worship. Why? Because man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which comes from the mouth of God. If God will not speak to us, and if we cannot be in the presence of God, we die. Like that deer panting for water in the desert, we die without the refreshing waters of the word of God. We need God. We need to hear God speak his living word into our hearts. We need to hear the voice of him who calls forth light out of the darkness, life out of death. And we need that power and strength which Christ gives to us as he feeds us with his body and blood. And we need that powerful confirmation of forgiveness and salvation when we see another little child being baptized and are reminded of our own baptism. We need that glorious experience of pouring out our souls in, in prayer and in song as a gathered congregation. And we need to participate in that glorious corporate action of almsgiving as the body builds itself up in love, taking care of the weaker and the more vulnerable members. Now, I think that many of the children have been taught what to do if we ever catch fire. If your clothing ever catches fire, we're taught to stop, drop, and roll. At least that's what they taught when I was a kid. I hope it's still the same today. Now, the fourth commandment teaches us stop, drop, and worship. Is that what you're doing? The fourth commandment commands you to be free. 
free from the slavery to your daily work, free from the slavery to your daily to-do list, free from the slavery to your daily worries and toils and anxieties and little red numbers on your social media posts. Just stop. Stop. Turn off the router if you have to. Turn off anything and everything which distracts you from the main thing. Drop all the tools and instruments of your daily labor. Drop them. God calls you to a day of feasting, joy, and delight. God calls you to a day of heavenly worship. God calls you to a day of gathering, a day of holy convocation a day of sacred assembly, a day of rest and fellowship and worship together with all the saints. And the more you pour yourself into living and celebrating the Sabbath command, the more you will taste heaven on this side of eternity. Now consider the power of beginning every week with a laser focus on heavenly worship together with all the saints. Every week, God refocuses our attention away from our weak, pathetic, earthly, and transitory kingdoms. And he reminds us of the glorious destination to which we are traveling and how we need that weekly reorientation. The psalmist in Psalm 73 needed that reorientation. You remember the psalmist there in Psalm 73. He was looking around at the world and he was jealous of the world. Because here he was following all the rules of the law. And there were the worldly people not caring about God's commands and living it up and getting rich and having great fun. And the psalmist thought that he was getting ripped off. And he thought the ungodly were having a great life. And his was all cramped and miserable. That's what he thought until finally he went to church and he went into the sanctuary of God and then he was reminded what life was all about. When he gathered with the saints to worship God, his mind and his heart were reset and reoriented and that changed his life. He figured it out. What makes life worth living is not sin, but worship. Sinless worship more. He realized that the whole point of life is not getting more things and having more experiences and succeeding at more projects and building more monuments to ourselves. But the whole point of our existence is to know God, to love God, to worship God, to be with God, to live for God. And to live together with all of God's children in the presence of God. And every week, God knows that we need that reset, that reorientation. Every week, God reorients our hearts and minds on the Lord's Day so that we go into a new week of work and study, saying together with the psalmist there at the end of Psalm 73, saying this, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. 
You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. When this is our focus, when this is our goal, when this is the attitude of our hearts, then we begin already in this life to taste the eternal Sabbath. Amen.